0: Breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty. Mornings on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel.
1: 1017 FM, 710 Kiel, Mike and McCarty, and on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. Secretary of the DCFS, congratulations, Judge David Matlock, joining us. Uh, congratulations on your appointment by the governor, sir.
2: Thank you very much. It's a it's a great honor. It's not, uh, you know, I was I'd been retired for several months. I was, and my wife had retired a couple of weeks after I did, and it was exciting to be retired. And uh, there aren't many things I would have wanted to go back into the workforce, but. Um, DCFS is just uh, child welfare in particular, but all the programs of DCFS are just really important to me. And that was, uh, and I just can't tell you how grateful I am to my wife for pulling up our roots, moving. You know, 40 some odd years ago, we were a small couple in love, living in a small space in Waco, Texas. And now we're an old couple in love, living in a small space in Baton Rouge.
0: So
2: (laughs) it is. It is. I, I cannot tell you, uh, what an incredible person
1: she is. Well, honestly. uh, Judge, you and I go back a little ways. Of course, we, uh, been at church together at, 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 Broadmoor for years, but, uh, I was also a CASA and had been in your courtroom, you know, a few times. So uh, well, I, appreciate- you know what a
2: terrible person I am in the courtroom. <laughs> so you can tell, you know where the bodies yeah. are buried, the skeletons <laughs> are hidden, you can tell all the stories and I, and I welcome that.
3: So well,
1: uh, it's, it's, it's healthy. Uh, I I know sir, I, I appreciate the work that you've done and look forward to your to your new appointment and your new duties.
4: Let me ask you, well, Judge Matlock, the uh, yep. summer EBT feeding program, the state has decided, the governor I guess in your office has decided to essentially reject seventy million in uh, federal matching money for this program. Um yeah. and, and a lot of people are scratching their head going, Why would you turn down seventy million? Explain it. I-
2: I have uh, the mission of DCFS. We have three principal missions. One is to protect children from abuse and neglect by their parents and caregivers. Two is to uh, help individuals and families become self-sufficient. And three is to help uh, deal with uh, mass uh, emergencies and provide sheltering in connection with, with uh, mass events like hurricanes and so forth. Well, Um, this program, and actually I kind of think it's important to note that this summer we'll be serving uh, 3 million more meals to children than we were serving pre-pandemic. We'll be serving 1.2 million more meals uh, to children than we served last summer. The uh, summer EBT program is a cash benefit and and honestly, uh, and, and this is needs to be taken in the context that we have unsustainable caseloads in child welfare. Remember our mission to help protect children. One of those three mm-hmm. missions to help protect children from. Abuse and neglect by their parents and caregivers. Our caseloads are supposed to, in certain of these areas, uh, child welfare investigations and, and foster care case management should be around 10 cases per caseworkers. We have had cases, uh, caseworkers quitting in certain areas because their caseload was, and this is in child welfare investigation, 140. Now, that is unsustainable our average caseloads are not that amount and i don't want to but but they are multiple by multiple by multiple more than they should be and these people whose hearts are called to work in this area cannot their their heart brought them to child welfare they went to you know whatever schooling uh social work and and counseling and and psychology and other areas and and their heart calls them. We've broken their hearts because they cannot do their job and they cannot protect. And they have to protect themselves. But too. Judge- I mean, they can't, simply can't do it. I have a $30 million internal fiscal cliff, really more than that. So
3: why do you turn are, down
2: $70 police-
4: million? Why, why don't you let the feds pay for this summer? Does it, it come with, with strings attached? Yeah. Yeah.
2: It, it would call for me to spend $3.6 million out of my budget. I'm already 35 or $30 million in the hole. I've got these unsustainable caseloads. I do not, the Department of Children and Family Services simply does not have the money to do that. Um, and we're going to be providing, the state of Louisiana is going to be providing more meals. And honestly, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Remember, our mission is to help people, individuals and families become self-sufficient. I'm done with internal generation. I'm sorry. I'm done with generational poverty traps. I'm done with benefit cliffs. We've got these deals where if you make 25, you're making $29,000, you know, certain families. It depends on the size of the family, all these things. You make 25 more cents a year, I mean, a a month. And all of a sudden, you lose $9,000 in benefits. Who's going to do that? And so we have these, these uh, benefit cliffs for, for benefits like SNAP, welfare. Uh, it, it applies to welfare disability situations as well where people can't go back to work. I'm done with generational poverty traps, benefit cliffs. Uh, the best social program is a job. And the pathway out of work, uh, out of poverty, is workforce development, economic development. I'm done with spending money we don't have, leaving our grandchildren debts they won't be able to play, pay, and creating more inflation that digs a deeper hole and creates greater poverty. I want long-term solutions. I would have to pay six – DCFS had to, would have to come up with, with $3.6 million. I, I already have these unsustainable caseloads in mm-hmm. child welfare. I cannot do that. The main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And when you cannot do the main thing, you can't go after a lot of other – Things. You'd be diverting uh,
4: but, a large chunk of your budget where you need more yes. caseworkers. You well, need to, you need to help more children in other yes, areas. Thirty okay. million
2: dollars, and mm. uh, there's so many glamorous and shiny things, and effective things, and wonderful things. I would absolutely, but you've got to understand this in the context that we're providing many, many more direct meals. There's also a benefit. This goes on a cash card that goes to somebody. I just dealt yesterday with a person representing grandparents who are frustrated. That they keep their grandchildren, and then every three or four i mean this is this is, this is an example but mm-hmm. but every four months or so mama comes back and says uh, and and says you can't you can't get their sSI check, you can't use their snap benefits, you can't use their uh, FITAP, uh benefits, mm-hmm. and if you do that, I'm going to come get my children so they they can't go and and a child is caught in a in a as as collateral. And the grandparents, what are you going to do? I'm not going to lose my child. And so part of that is giving those grandparents avenues uh, to, and there's a great organization for that, Grandparents uh, Raising Grandchildren, that helps provide ways to help grandparents uh, provide safety for those children in that context. But children don't always get the the benefit if it goes on a cash card. When you set, sit there and you, you feed them, it also brings them to a recreation center. These uh, summer program, feeding programs, any school that gets free lunch plus any or- governmental organization plus a number of, of, uh, of, of uh, cert- not certified, but, but that we've agreed or that Department of Education has agreed to Um, uh, uh, charitable organizations non-governmental organizations they want to provide summer program and you get a synergy you get the child there you have eyes on that child you Mm -hmm. know what's happening to that child you also have that relationship think about meals on wheels is it just about the meal that you take to that old elderly person and deliver it by Mm -hmm. hand no absolutely not it's about laying eyes on that grand on that person that elderly or disabled person it's about making sure that they're okay they don't come to the door guess what there's probably going to be a welfare check you
4: bet david and can so you stay with us i want to talk about uh foster the foster program please uh, casa it's can so you important. can you hang with us and of course you bet.
2: what would be more important thank you sir
1: we're on the uh, jack spring electric newsmaker hotline judge david matlock mike and one oh one seven fm seven ten keel
0: Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. On the
1: Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline, Judge David Matlock joining us from DCFS now in Baton Rouge. Uh, Judge, first of all...
2: By the way, please call me David. I'm <laughs> I'm a recovering judge. Just call me David. It works.
1: Okay, David. I, uh, well, I I just so appreciate what you were saying a moment ago about uh, you know wanting to break these generational poverty traps, and
2: I just I can do I can do it. Who not want an... to feed children? And and but direct uh, grab and go. Uh, also, we have commodity giveaways in in uh, food deserts, both urban and. And we need more, and, and, uh, in rural areas. There are challenges with the, uh, summer feeding program, direct meal type program, congregate meal type program with children. Again, you got this wonderful synergy with, with educational programs, reading programs, tutoring programs, and recreational programs. It's important. Kids need recreation. They also need that relationship with an adult, uh, a wholesome, good adult who can there uh, uh, you know, help that child, that may be the, one of the strongest figures they have in their life. And I mean, our, look back, our relationships with our coaches, our teachers, mm-hmm. a Sunday school teacher, uh, a a a caring adult, a neighbor, uh, those things are, they build resilience. They help children who've, who've been through really horrible adverse or, or, you know, just adverse, uh, childhood experiences, build resiliency, uh, to, to be able to deal with that. And they help children just be successful. So there's a center, a strong synergy similar to Meals on Wheels. I do want to mention the Department of Education would also have another three and a half or so million dollars cost associated with this. This also doesn't, this program doesn't play well with Louisiana, as y'all know, and it's not quite so apparent up in the Streetport area, but, um, but and in North Louisiana, but we have a lot of parochial students, we have a lot of charter schools, mm-hmm. we have a lot of homeschools. We've, we've got a lot of dropouts. If you're a dropout or, or you've been expelled, you may not be eligible for that food program, program. But I want to move on from that because we've got some huge issues. But about the bottom
1: food. line is that $70 million comes with too many caveats to make it worthwhile.
2: The bottom line is I don't have the money to do it if I wanted to, and, um, and it doesn't help people grow successfully become self sustaining it's more of borrowing money we don't have but um to to create more poverty traps and I want pathways out of poverty not slides into it big and, needs
4: big uh, needs in your department right now foster absolutely. parents and casa we, volunteers horrible needs
2: and we've got these caseloads thank you aaron uh so much and and mike um um the, if you know a foster parent, please help them. Shreveport, we don't realize it. We have a really strong culture. All, you know, the, the, the problems we have, all these things. But in child welfare, our foster parents, this group and those who support them, it's faith community, it's other social groups and businesses. They have rallied around, they've created this rural net, this, uh, neural network. They meet monthly, they talk about the needs. Do you need a uh, a bunk bed? Do you need a backpack? Do you need a car seat? Do you need groceries? Foster closets at Cyprus and other areas. There's just a tremendous support network there for foster parents. Uh, it's largely the CASAs, Court Appointed Special Advocates through uh, Volunteers for Youth Justice, has, has participates in that. And um, we don't have that in other areas. It is a, uh, um, it is a, difficult situation to, um, excuse me, to um, create that in other areas. So we have a meeting today. We've had actually several meetings today. A bunch of foster parents from East Baton Rouge are coming together. I'm visiting with them, of course, and we have others from DCFS that'll be visiting with them to try to Copy and and frankly improve on that that model up there in Shreveport in East Baton Rouge. We've had some really high profile situations down here in Baton Rouge, mm. largely driven by caseloads. Um, and um, and and you know when you're dealing with a, a serious child injury or death, one is a big number. You bet. And so um, it's uh, to build that that one of some of the problems is if if children are removed. You gotta have a place to put them, a wholesome place. You don't want them sleeping on desks. I've literally been to offices,
5: right.
2: uh, office here where a child's living in our office, and just sit down, and visit with the child. I mean, that's I'm kind of a hands-on guy. When somebody says this is what's going on, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna stand up and say, let me. I want to go talk to the child. I want to yeah. talk to their their uh, supervisor. Um, we uh, they're very difficult situations placing children. It 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 is part of the calculus in removal. If it's if you're gonna if it's gonna be worse for a child to remove them then that that goes into that calculus and and it shouldn't. You've got to have a wholesome place, a appropriate, safe, uh great home, and that involves uh having foster parents. Well the best way to have and recruit foster parents is to treat the foster parents that you have with respect, communication, engagement, listening um And supporting them, and that's a big duty on um, on the part of DCFS, and and it's a duty we haven't really, honestly fulfilled. We ask a foster parent, go talk to foster parents, and so um, we need to change that culture, that dynamic. Cato has done a really good job with that. Uh, other areas have faced greater challenges, but my mainly encouragement is is we need foster parents. Yeah, Please man. come. C- pl- Please come back. Please come to us. Uh, and if you have problems, I'm a pretty accessible guy. You call me and tell me. Call my office and tell me. And of course, a lot of a lot of folks have cell numbers My cell numbers. Let me know that you want to be a foster parent. I'll make sure that roadblocks and hurdles and other things and and we're changing the culture for that got but it, we, it takes help you got to tell us here's a roadblock right. well, you know we got folks that are that are roadblock breakers you bet uh, David, we're up against the clock here
4: it. can we can we do another interview oh, with you another oh, day I would love it Right. I would
2: love it. We, you, you got my number.
4: You bet. We will be in touch. Have your people send my people me um, your feeding sites. You know, th- let's get that out. Let's get all that out to information out to everybody, so we know we're taking Heidi, care of
2: it. Heidi Kenshin is probably listening. She's with our commerce department. Okay, and she will reach out to you, Aaron, uh, That's and good. I'll certainly try to get her contact information to you as well. Thank y'all. You bet. Thanks, Thanks you, David. Mike. I appreciate y'all so much. You bet. Bye.
1: Bye. Thank you, David. Judge David McLock, Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel. Coming up after the news, uh, Lisa Johnson, Bozier Chamber of Commerce President, will be joining us. Some uh, news out of Bozier City that you'll want to hear about. 1017 FM, 710 Kiel.
0: Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel.
1: 1017FM 710 Keel. Micah McCarty and the uh, Bozier City Charter Review Commission holding some town hall meetings. We'll find out details on those coming up with uh Lisa Johnson from the Bozier Chamber of Commerce right after the break. Micah McCarty, 101-7 FM 710 Keel.
0: Bye. More breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keele.
1: On the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline from the Bossier Chamber of Commerce, President Lisa Johnson joining us. Lisa, good morning. Good
3: morning. How are y'all today?
1: Good. Mm-hmm. Our wonderful and beautiful day. You've got three meetings or the uh, uh, Bozier City Charter Review Commission is going to be hosting three town hall meetings Uh, seeking public input, what kind of a turnout do we expect? And tell us uh, about your first meeting, which is tonight.
3: Well, yes, the Bossier City Charter Review Commission is hosting three town hall meetings um, to seek input from the public regarding uh, the charter. So as you said, three meetings. The first one is tonight uh, from 6 to 8 at Hooter Park uh, MLK Community Center. And the next one is Thursday, uh, 6 to 8, Shady Grove Community Center in South Bosher. And then the last one is next Thursday, February 27th, from 6 to 8 at the Bosher Instructional Center. Um, I am not officially a part of the Charter Review Commission. I've just been attending the meetings and listening to their conversations. And so they wanted to ensure that they uh, – had town hall meetings in each of the areas within the city to to be able to reach those folks, and that they have an opportunity to come uh, within maybe their neighborhoods to come in uh, and and share their input.
4: It's important that people speak up if they want you know changes made in Boser. Now's the time, right?
3: Now is the time. I mean, you know, we live in the age of uh, voice. Your voice is everything. It's always been that way, but people haven't always exercised their voice as much as they have today. And so by the uh, Charter Review Commission uh, uh, giving the opportunity for town halls, it's, it's important for people to show up. They need to... Uh, To maybe probably review the the charter before they they come so that they can understand specifically what the charter says today was written about 20 or so years ago um and then be able to speak directly to the charter and what uh they would like to see uh changed in it
1: lisa what kind of input are you getting from the public now what are some of the concerns
3: Well, um, again, me being at the chamber, I'm not specifically getting any input regarding it. I'm just uh, they asked me to help get the message out. Uh, But what I'm hearing um, from uh, folks that are speaking at their charter review uh, meeting or there's a a, a term limit coalition out there that has been. very passionate about their beliefs and what they would like to see done for uh, term limits. And so they've been quite vocal at the meetings, and I'm sure that they will be at the town hall meetings. There's also been uh, a concern about uh, our city council districts, and uh, we first saw that when we uh, did the census data and had those public meetings and uh there's been some question do we still need two at large districts or do we need uh to go to uh single districts uh for better representation and again the people will uh decide these changes and what they would like to see because this is just a charter review commission uh we uh they haven't really dug deep into it yet in their public meetings uh, because they want to hear from the general public what well, does, does the
4: Lisa does the Lisa Johnson with the Bozier Chamber, has the chamber taken a position
3: on term limits? The chamber has not taken a position on term limits. No, do, we do you anticipate not. you will. Um, I don't anticipate that we will um, we will be doing that. Uh, that is, you know, it's something for the people. Our business is uh, for the businesses. we are are a pro-business organization. However, the two go hand-in-hand hand, um, as it relates to representation of the people in the community. And if we don't have the residents and the people in the community, then our businesses will not thrive.
1: Well, the people aren't seeming to get a choice in this. They can't seem to get it on the ballots.
3: Well, that, unfortunately, in the state of Louisiana, there's a process to uh, get things on the ballot. And so, as I said, they've uh, been talking... Um, vocally and very openly about what they're interested in seeing and so it took the city council to put the charter uh, review commission together they did they have placed those uh, people and have pointed them they have been meeting and then in order for it to get on a ballot um, whatever the charter commission review commission puts forth it then has to be approved by the city council and then it order for it to go on the ballot then it has to go before the bond commission so when it goes before the city council has to have two readings that usually takes about a month and then uh goes before the um the bond commission you have to have it on its ballot about 60 days uh i mean on its agenda about 60 days ahead of time and then you can get it on the ballot so it is a it is a long process process. Mm -hmm. the
1: wheels of government grind slowly
3: they Lisa Johnson do. with the
1: uh, Bozier chamber of Commerce there was discussion that the dotd was looking at closing uh, particularly the westbound lane of i20 in that section there through Bozier. um that apparently is not going to happen now
3: um at this moment we remained open and we remain open for business so yes they um they do have to uh, look at the uh the safety and um crashes and wrecks and other things you know that are going through a construction zone and um, as you're going westbound the road gets a little narrow through there and so it's not ideal for semi trucks and 18 wheelers so on december 21st uh, after they started seeing multiple wrecks and turnovers they asked that the semi trucks um take 220 and that um and they actually said that they were prohibited from coming through interstate 20. well the gps systems the Google Maps and Waze and all that have been a little slow to adapt to that. And so they've been making phone calls to those folks. And then, of course, there's been enforcement. So with the Louisiana State Police, the Bossier Sheriff's Office and the Bossier uh, Police Department, they're working very diligently to um, make sure that these um, commercial trucks know that they are prohibited. They are issuing tickets and um, they're working on a uh, zero tolerance um plan that they hope to enact within sometime this week or next week. But your, uh, business, to,
4: your business leaders and owners, they want that freeway left open, no doubt.
3: Absolutely. absolutely. Sure. I mean, any kind of a distraction is going to um, to have, have some kind of a, an effect on the business community. And so when the construction started in the third quarter of last year, the businesses Uh, slowly but started seeing uh, a softening of their business because people had to learn new routes and what have you and if that road were to close completely for the duration of the uh, construction period which is two years it would be a detriment to our businesses
1: but could the argument be made that if if they're on the interstate they're not stopping at businesses but if you route them off the interstate through the town it might help local businesses
3: well, it's, it, you know, it is a double-edged sword and it is a double uh positive as well because with a reroute, it's going to be businesses that are going through Interstate 220 that are going to see maybe more business back on the uh, northern part of the community. But if you want to look at the Twin City as a whole, it's not just Bossier by itself. If they were to reroute everybody coming from um, the east going westbound on the 220 it bypasses not only all of the businesses along the corridor in Bozier City but downtown Shreveport uh, everyone uh, the independent stadium all the way to the other side to West Shreveport mm-hmm. and so if, if their habits are coming, through directly through the community we want to make sure that those motorists continue to be able to do that to visit our attractions and our restaurants on both sides of the river so this doesn't affect bozier city only even though we're in the direct line of it all but it does affect both cities
1: yes lisa
4: johnson thank you so much for your time
1: Thank you. Y'all have a great day. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lisa. 101.7 FM, 710 Kiel. Sam Jenkins going to be joining us after the news top of the hour. Mike and McCarty.
0: Back to the big stories of the day with Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Kiel.
1: You've got me. You've got me pibbing now. Bibbing. (laughs) Getting my boxer briefs in a bunch. In a bunch. There you go. Talking. You know, you have to ask yourself the question, why is the left pushing so hard to fund Ukraine? Mike Johnson is trying to secure our border. Mm -hmm. He's trying to protect the citizens of this country. And, of course, being fought. They're calling Aaron, they're calling him Moscow Mike oh gosh because he doesn't want to divert billions of dollars into this ukraine war when we were not settling our own issues Uh, we're not protecting our own citizens so they're turning that into oh he's supporting putin Mm -hmm. he's supporting the the invasion into Ukraine. well first of all where is that billion where are those billions of dollars actually going
4: do we get to send auditors in and find to out who
1: in in whose pockets is this money actually going is it turning around and coming back in kickbacks to politicians and contractors oh we don't know any of that we don't know any of that and they I, don't want us to know
4: they don't but i you know mike made a really good point why should we be funding ukraine and a whole nother country
1: mike johnson made yes
4: that and, I, and i and i understand putin is evil and and the Russian regime right now is evil. Absolutely, and I get that, and I and I support Ukraine, but why should the U.S. be spending billions of dollars in that country when we have a crisis in our own country?
1: We know Biden is in bed with Ukraine. When when they, when he, he's on video, mm. make trying to make the deal about when they were investigating his son's company doing business and said, you fire that prosecutor or, and when he was vice president, going, you're not getting these millions of dollars.
4: What other countries are lining up to hand over billions to Ukraine? And why are we the ones that always have to do that? Why are we the ones that always have to do it?
1: <sighs> Sam Jenkins will be joining us, changing subjects. Thank goodness, because I don't know if my heart rate could take it. Uh, talking about the crime session in Baton Rouge, Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Kiel. 7 FM, 710 Keel. Mike and McCarty on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. State Senator Sam Jenkins joining us. Sam, first of all, a belated happy birthday to you, sir.
5: Hey, good morning. And uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You're in a busy morning down here at the Capitol today. So <laughs> we're engaging uh, quite a few people. And uh, But yesterday was my birthday, and we certainly had an enjoyable time.
1: Good. Well, happy uh, 31st birthday to you. <laughs> Uh <laughs> special session, a crime session. Uh, you guys are, are tied up now. Tell uh, We talked with Alan Sebaugh earlier in the week. Tell me about uh, some of the bills that you have the most concerns about.
5: I, I'm, I'm concerned about pretty much all of the bills, to be honest with you. And I may not have time in, in this discussion to break each bill down. So let me just speak in some general terms, okay? Let's look at uh, some of the bills that uh, seek to limit post-conviction relief for persons who have been convicted and confined Uh, i'm very concerned about that because as we all know uh our criminal justice system is not a perfect system and we certainly need to have an opportunity for someone to exonerate themselves if they feel as though they have been falsely accused or uh, uh convicted of a crime uh we also have bills here uh, that uh, severely limits uh, the ability for a person to be eligible for uh, parole. Uh, once again, uh, the concern there is that uh, this could certainly lead to jail overcrowding because we're trying to keep people there uh, a longer period of time. And part of what we tried to do back in 2017 with the reforms uh, was to try to relieve that kind of pressure off of our correctional system. So it's going to be just taking some steps backwards uh, when we start talking about uh, uh, Curving uh, a parole, curving post conviction relief, and, and those type matters like that. So those those are really of some concern to me.
4: Sam, excuse me, Senator Jenkins. The public's really kind of in a in a furor right now. That when we look at some of the data that shows a lot of these criminals are only serving thirty five percent of their time. Um we've got to find a happy medium. I mean if they're if they're doing violence in our communities over and over again and we keep letting them out, something's not working.
5: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head and I could not agree with you more. And I think most of us who are uh, 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 opponents of uh crime prevention are saying the same thing. Longer jail sentences locking up more people. That alone is not the answer to solving our criminal our uh, problem our crime problem. Uh, we we got to bring some balance to this. We must begin to address some of the issues that are driving people to our criminal justice system, and that's the overall problem that many of us have. Look, nobody wants bad people out here doing bad things. If they do, then that should be a place to, for them to go. But you have a lot of people now uh, that are in the criminal justice system with mental and behavioral health issues. Uh, you have people that are unemployed. Uh, you have people that are just coming from object uh, uh, poverty. And a lot of this is what's driving people towards our criminal justice system. We just cannot seem to get a mindset to say, we want to invest some time and resources in preventing crime. If you look at most of these bills, these bills are in reaction to somebody who has already committed a crime. When are we going to start trying to get on the front end of this discussion and say what are some things we can do uh, to stop people from uh, committing crimes and become good citizens? The
4: the governor gave a speech before you yesterday. A lot of people are saying it was very passionate, very victim-oriented. Um, what did you hear from the governor yesterday? Are you and he on the same page on any front?
5: Yes, I, I will say this now. I, and, and I think the governor, uh speech uh, on yesterday presented – some of the most extreme uh, circumstances of uh, people being victimized by crime. And I think most of us agree. We, we do not want people being shot, uh, handicapped. We don't want people being robbed, carjacked. You'll never hear me saying that that's okay. I don't think you ever hear people uh, who are talking crime prevention saying that that's okay. So, yes, it was a passionate speech, and uh, we would agree with the governor that you know people who commit heinous crimes like that, there should be a place for them. What I'm not seeing in this crime session, and let me be very, very clear about this, I'm not seeing balance. I'm not seeing where we're saying, hey, look, we need to deal with the back end of crime, but we also need to deal with the front end of this. What are these what are the issues that we need to address to try to prevent people from committing crimes? And there are states who are getting this thing right. And those both, both states are bringing balance in. They are beginning to say, hey, look, let's begin to look at some of these social issues that are causing people to commit crime. Let's begin to look at the empirical data that uh, uh, groups like the Vera Institute uh, uh, for Justice, the Brooklyn Institute, these people have no dog in the hunt, if I could use that term, mm-hmm. but they have empirical data that shows if you put some resources on the front end you could see a reduction in crime in your city and in your state.
4: Sam, did you did you bring any bills forward for this session that would address that or did you not because you knew it was doomed?
5: No, no, not not really because here, here's the point. The call was so very very narrow. Okay. And there was very input from many of us uh to be able to even try to file a bill that would fit the call. Most of the bills that uh some of us would have wanted to file would not have been germane to the call and it would not have been taken up. Uh that that and once again I think that's a fallacy with this uh session that we're going through. No balance a call that was not broad enough for you to bring in some of that. Now, what we're hoping will happen during the session is that we will have people coming forward uh, to give testimony um, and speak in opposition to some of these, uh, what we feel may be extreme measures that are going into place, so that we can build a very good legislative record. Because I have some feeling that some of these laws that are going to be passed may be challenged in court. We spoke
1: with Judge David Matlock earlier this morning and he was talking about um, the generational poverty traps. And one way to combat those is, uh, or, or, or a few ways, education is vitally important and also jobs, economic development. How do we keep these kids, when you talk about getting them before they're, they, they are, you know, becoming arrested and getting involved in crime, how do you keep them in school? I think truancy should be a huge
5: issue and focus. No, I, I would agree with you. Look, we, we must engage uh, the parents. They must in, in, have the means of intervening uh, and lack of supervision uh, with a lot of the uh, young people. Then we must uh, provide some alternatives, uh, you know, to incarceration if it is a, a first you know first offense how can we get them with some uh, uh, educational tools if, if they're not high school ready can we get them into GED programs can we have some job programs that will uh, help these children learn what it means to uh, go to work and earn a uh, pay can we have recreational programs so they do not have to uh, have idle time uh, to invest in, in, in matters that uh, sometimes lead to criminal conduct. So yes, there are there are litany of things that we can begin to develop and implement, but I'm not seeing the mindset on the part of the powers that be to say that this, th- those are worthwhile ventures.
1: Mm-hmm. State Senator Sam Jenkins uh, from Baton Rouge, uh, thank you, sir. We appreciate your time this morning. We know you're busy.
5: And thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience this morning. You guys have a great day. You
1: thank you.
0: 1017 FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty. Back with more of Mike and McCarthy on 1017 FM and 710 Keel.
1: Are you watching Masters of the Air? Have you caught up?
4: No, I'm only on like episode. What is it? Two. I'm I'm early, early, early. I have to. I had to focus because it's one of those you
1: got to focus. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's, I haven't been. I had that to mode. go back and watch episodes over again. I, I haven't just yeah. to keep up with who is you know who who is who.
4: Right, and I have to get. I'm gonna probably have to start it over again just to make sure I know the players. But it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it
1: is. It is, but it it got me thinking also um Aaron the uh, out at Barksdale. The B52s. <laughs> how, yeah. I I don't think people realize how incredible these aircraft are. How old are they? Now? They were they they were first introduced in the early 60s. Wow, I mean, they're like our age. Ooh, old dudes. And and yeah, mm. obviously, whoever designed the B fifty two got it right, because I don't think there's another aircraft that's still in active duty like the B fifty two. And now the Air Force is is investing another million. Well, actually. $48.6 billion dollar overhaul uh, into the B 52s to the keep people. them flying until 2060.
3: They'll be 100.
1: It was first introduced in 1962. Oh, How wow. awesome is that? They'll turn 100 years old. That's, that's just amazing how
4: are they still viable
1: congratulations guys and gals out oh, at Marksdale
4: that is incredible that is and to watch them fly when you watch them coming in or, or taking off they are an amazing amazing piece of work when you look at how big they are up close oh yeah like how does that thing ever get off the ground i, I it still boggles my mind I don't get it. <laughs>
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, how do you get that off the ground? Yeah. It's, it's so huge, laden down. Oh, I, I just love them. I love them. When we lived in Bossier, uh, we bought four acres north, just north of 220, um, and built a house before we even knew there was going to be a stone bridge. hmm We were out and kind of in the middle of nowhere. yeah. But it was on the end of the flight line. Ah, okay. As the planes would come up over, you know, 220. Ooh, I bet that was loud. And, 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 there, there were, there have been since complaints from, uh, some of the neighborhoods that have since developed. Oh, yeah. And it's like, let me tell you something. You know what you were getting? That base has been there a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Those bombers have been there a long time. Shut your mouth. They ain't going nowhere. They, I loved yeah. it. They came over our house, Aaron, uh, on you know landing gear still down, wow. and it was just I loved it. Yeah, I loved the sound of them, mm-hmm. and, and just God love you, men and women that work there, and I thank you and salute you. Keeping for the them work in the air do.
4: until twenty six. Yeah, that's good news for
1: Barksdale, no Absolutely. doubt. Absolutely, yeah. And they still have
4: a base that has them in like Minot, Minot. North yes. Dakota. Those we're why, the only two, right?
1: Why not Minot? <laughs> <laughs> it's what they
0: say. I knew
4: Barksdale people and if they got shipped to oh, Minot, yeah. they were like, it was like "Oh gosh. God, it's like what did I do wrong?" Fargo. I mean, yeah. it's just
1: freezing.
4: What happened in my life <laughs> that I got sent to Minot? <laughs> Sorry, Minot. I'm not dissing you. I'm right. just you're well, we you're, are, but yeah, uh, far in different, good, in good far spirit. different weather than. You know, Bossier City, Louisiana. And far different climate and, you know, atmosphere, I would bet.
1: Oh, boy. And Barksdale, one of the largest bases as far as landmass. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. As well. So, in, in Senator J. Bennett Johnston, uh, for years, fought to keep Barksdale. Absolutely. You know, there were budget cuts and he had to, he had to do some work to keep us going.
4: We went through that big base realignment where several bases were closed and... I mean they fought tooth and nail to keep Barksdale up and going and, and they won and it looks like we're good for another forty years at least. It. Something it's like incredible. that. Incredible.
0: That really is. One oh one
1: seven FM seven ten keel, Mike and McCarty.
0: Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on one oh one seven FM and seven ten keel.
1: Okay, by the way, talking about B fifty twos, um, I was off a little bit. Not not sixty two. Uh, my friend Bill Lund from KTBS texts me. He says, It was actually nineteen fifty two when the B fifty two, not in its current form. But it was still the B fifty two first flew. It wasn't uh, actually uh, brought into service until nineteen fifty-five. Wow. Wow. The Fonz was riding his motorcycle. <laughs>
4: That's crazy. <laughs> I I have a question for both of you, and I you know, this is some of the one of those things that just hits me some days, and I'm like, this is the stupidest topic you'll ever talk about on the radio, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um I'm turning on From to Crawfish sex.
1: Is that we're doing no, that again? No, not today. <laughs> Roosters laying eggs. I don't know, Aaron, we've gone pretty uh
4: <laughs> You got a point. Um I'm turning on to Westport this morning and I see a big truck um it's got a Cheetos on it.
1: Oh, And I thought, ooh. Do like I do do like the Cheetos.
4: That would be a good the crunchy ones. That, yeah, crunchy ones. That would be a good one. And I thought, if I were if I were to be able to hijack any truck, 18-wheeler, loaded with food or beverage. Okay. And I'm never going to get caught, and I get to keep everything that's in the truck. I get it before it gets to Walmart, not after.
1: So if you commit a crime as long as nobody knows, it's not a crime. <laughs> yeah, right? let's work,
4: work <laughs> with me on that. What truck am I hijacking that I get to keep the goods that are inside the truck? Ooh. They're mine. Reuben, what is Jeez. yours?
1: Uh, Miller Lite would save me a lot of money. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, that that would be the one to save me money, the one to make money. I don't know. Probably any kind of tobacco product. If yeah. I were to, If I was going to be selling stuff off of the – it fell off a truck. Don't worry about it.
4: <laughs> but it's got to be food and drink.
1: No, it's got it to be and drink, food and drink. I so yeah. can't say like a, a huge truck of 72-inch – OLED TVs so or gold bars yeah something that doesn't expire then <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be the biggest thing
4: I would do of course Bluebell comes to mind
1: Oh yeah Big if truck I of Bluebell Blue I can't.
4: Yeah I, I would I, I, I would probably a big truck of tequila a Jose Cuervo truck yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice
1: Vive <laughs> <eBay> Cuervo <laughs> Yeah that'd be a nice
4: truck to get cuz you could resell that stuff too
1: um, Oh absolutely
4: Third truck on my list would be right now I want a crawfish truck.
5: Yeah, somebody see, coming from down go.
4: south loaded with bags of crawfish.
5: Oh, yeah.
4: I could make some money on that one. Absolutely. You're going to do Guinness? Is that what you're going to hijack?
1: If, if Well, if you were to say, yeah, my first would be like Bluebell if I could still eat Bluebell.
4: Mm-hmm. Can't. Can't.
1: No, look, I still eat things I'm not supposed <laughs> to. So somebody drops a Bluebell truck out front, you know.
4: Yeah. We're missing something. There's somebody, message us please on the Shreveport Security Systems message board. What truck would you hijack? It's got to be food. Southern Made Donuts
1: doesn't run trucks, they don't don't run trucks. They they just make them right there in the store.
4: We're making up our own trucks, though, so it could be Southern Made.
1: (laughs) Oh, by the way, speaking of KTBS, Mm -hmm. somebody brought a Southern Made King Cake last week up there. (gasps) It was in the kitchen.
4: Oh. Oh. They're so good. So good. Man, delicious. So I'm going to go and hijack a truck when we get done.
1: <laughs> I think it's going to be Blue Bell. I, I think you're right, though. We're missing something. We are missing something, something big, yeah. I I, I I think, like, well, obviously a, a, a huge, you know, steak truck. Uh, Omaha steak Omaha, truck would be good. Yeah, meats. Oh, yeah. Some, somebody hauling... Fresh cut steaks, yeah, burgers Rib- and meats.
4: Is there a company called Rib- Omaha Is- or us? Steaks? Omaha Rib- Is- or us Truck? Something? Yeah, that's what
1: we want. That's that would there. There's my first. Yeah, uh, there Omaha you go. Omaha Steak Truck. Yeah,
4: <laughs> it wouldn't be a crime because no one caught you,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> It'd be completely healthy. You two
4: don't need to laugh so dang loud.
1: Oh man! What <laughs> <sighs> yes. a one seven FM seven ten Kiel. I'm sorry, Mike and McCarty.
0: Breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. By the way, if you missed it
1: earlier this morning, there was a suspicious envelope. What makes an envelope suspicious? Is it wearing sunglasses and a hat? <laughs> Furtively darting around? you'
4: terrible
1: it had a, a, apparently had a, it said it had a white powder on the envelope mm-hmm. not in so that that's an important dis dis, 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 dis yeah distinction thank you that's mm-hmm. the word I was looking for uh because if it was just on I mean that could have come from any place could have come from the post office it could have mm-hmm. come from any place. Right, right. But if it were in the envelope, then it, there was, you could see there would be intent to to send it. But if it were on the envelope, then is it something nefarious that would cause people to, whoever touched it?
4: I'm not to sure. To become ill or? I, I know state police were called out. It was found at Cypress Baptist Church in Benton, which is the home church for uh, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. Mm-hmm. His wife's a counselor there, has an office there. So, raises lots of concerns, then state police get there. And they realize, oh, this is Congressman Johnson's church. They call in the FBI. Um, they quickly did a test, and the first test, first round of testing came back negative, but they're going to do more testing on the the powdery substance you think to they find just out. T- t- no, it, uh, I don't think that's how uh. it works. I think they have some <laughs> science to this, um, and they'll try to find out, you know, who sent it, what was the purpose. Or was it just a, an, an innocent, you know, piece of mail that got something else on it? I, you know, I don't know. Right. Um, but they have to they have to act with all caution and you know take everything into consideration because he's a power pal- What is he third from in line to the presidency? Unbelievable. You know, he's right there, a couple of heartbeats, and um, you know they have to be real careful when things like that happen. You know, I remember back in during the um, anthrax days. When we literally yes. all of our mail had to be checked, I still to this day—I hate to say this to Reuben, but I—I I hand anything <laughs> that looks kind of odd to suspicious. Ruben. suspicious to Ruben to open first. Yeah,
1: I get all the uh, prison letters. Reuben open like this. Like <laughs> yeah. I had a nice collection. <laughs> looks like it was written by a serial killer, yeah. addressed by uh-huh. Keel News with the K backwards. A few pretty interesting reads.
4: Yeah, some of them are. We get a lot of prison mail. We get some mail from. Uh, real radical folks who really want their their ideas talked about on the radio, but he opens them nicely and he shakes them out really good just to make sure.
5: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> tastes uh, it to make sure that yeah it's, uh, yeah. yeah it's safe.
4: But it, it'll be, you know, it'll take them some time to do the rest of the testing. Try to find out who mailed it, if if it was indeed mailed. I don't know that it, that's the case. No, I would assume
1: we, very, very few details have yeah. been released. We really don't know anything about it.
4: Absolutely. Um,
1: just that something was found on an envelope. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where it's where it came from, what that substance was, who it was addressed to, if anybody. Right. We don't know yet. We're don't know anything waiting. about
4: it. They're keeping that real quiet. I know Congressman Johnson's staff issued a statement. Thanking you know everybody involved in the investigation, and you know urging for folks to you know just stay informed about what it was. And he was to find not out.
1: here. He was he no. wasn't at the church. He's not even in town.
4: No, I don't even know if his wife Kelly was at the church. I know she has an office there, but I don't know that she was there at the time this envelope was discovered. Nor do we know who you know which employee there discovered it. Mm-hmm. There you know they they want to keep that all quiet for now to find out. Let's trace it. Let's find out where it came from and, and find out who sent it and see if there's anything nefarious to it.
1: 101.7 FM, 710 Keel. Mike and McCarty.
0: Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Keel.
2: One hundred one
1: seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty.
5: The
4: um, Bowser Charter <laughs> Review Charter Review Commission. Um, they are having a town hall meeting today. Um, they want the public to show up.
1: Hooter Park.
4: Hooter Park, yes, yeah, six to eight p.m. And input from the public is needed. They're going to be talking about all kinds of things, including term limits. They're going to talk about the council district lines. If, if you don't know, uh, if you're from Shreveport, we have seven council members from seven distinct districts. In Bossier, they have five council members from distinct districts, and then two at-large councilmen who are elected citywide. So they're th- they're looking at possibly changing that and creating seven individual districts for better representation. Because again, they have two of their members that everybody in Bossier votes on. And we don't have a council member like that in Shreveport. We don't have that existing here. So they're looking at possibly changing that. There are other things on that charter that they're looking at. You know, do we need to tweak to make things better? Mm-hmm. But they want to hear from folks. They want to hear you. And I'm sure the charter study, I mean, the um, term limit people will be there in force to get their point across. They're starting a new petition because the old petition has been kind of tossed out by the courts. So they're starting over to make sure it's all legal. Um and they're wanting to put that issue on the ballot.
1: Term limits, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about this mm-hmm. because, yeah, in four years you can vote them out of office, sure. And if, if you know, if somebody has a a, a committee appointment, you don't want to lose that, especially what I'm talking about in Congress. Mm-hmm. But on, the, but then on the other hand. You don't want a Chuck Schumer and a Mitch McConnell that that have been there for eighty years. Yes. And and, they, and you know, the original intent was you serve your term and then you go back to the private sector. Right. I mean that going going back to seventeen six. Mm-hmm.
4: Now the, obviously this is only gonna impact Bozier, the mayor and the city council, but it would be it would be something that citizens would be able to vote on. And the problem is that if you put it on a big, wide election like a November fall ballot, more people show up. More people are going to lean toward term limits. More people, when they vote, go, "Yeah, get those out." Right. After right. they serve their eight years or whatever it is, and and they may and will the terms be two terms? Will they be three terms? And we've seen it in in Shreveport where a council member serves two terms, sits out a term. And then and comes then back, right. so that can happen too. You know, I mean, if you really are dedicated and really want to serve the city, look at Governor Edwin out.
1: Edwards. You bet, absolutely. He, he served fifteen terms. I mean, it seems like
4: James Green's been on the council. I think this is his third go round. I may be wrong, but you know, it's one of those things. The citizens need to speak up again. The meeting today, six to eight, Hooter Park. There's another one on Thursday from six to eight at Shady Grove. If you're interested, your opinion is wanted. Wanted.
1: 1017 FM, 710 Kiyo oh Mike.